Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, we're going to begin the program today with what is still the number one issue in this country, and that is health care. And I've been saying for a couple of years now, we've been running this statistic past you, this information past you, that some 5 million people in this country have no family physician. And for multi-generational families, that's a crisis immediately. If you have someone in your family who has a health concern, where do you go? I see emails quite regularly from uh, folks who've gone to walk-in clinics. Nothing against walk-in clinics. They perform a very necessary duty, but uh, it's not the same as having your family physician. And um, what do you do about, about that reality? What do you do about health care in this country? What are the options? I, uh, I came across an op-ed written by Dr. Alika Lafontaine, who's the president of the Canadian Medical Association in HealthyDebate.ca, HealthyDebate.ca. And uh, in part it reads, there is no cure to the health crisis, but here is where to start. So I thought we would start today's program with Dr. Lafontaine. He kindly agreed to do do that and joins us. Uh, The president of the Canadian Medical Association. How are you, Dr. Lafontaine? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, good to have you with us. Healthcare, uh, you write in the op-ed, is in crisis, but there's no miracle cure, and that it took time for us to get to the critical mass situation we're dealing with today. Can you walk us through that? What got us to where we are now? You know, there there was a time in healthcare where it worked. You know, I, I'm sure listeners can think back to a time that they could phone into their family doc's office and actually get in to see their family physician and spend time with them and actually get their problem solved. And, you know, over the last 10 years in particular, especially in the last three, we've seen a breakdown of primary care. We've seen a breakdown in specialty care. And, you know, the people who were keeping together the healthcare system were the most resilient part of that whole thing. And once they started to fall apart, uh, you know, the glue that kept the system together started to fall apart. And I think people are starting to feel that now with long wait times, you know, going to emergency rooms, trying to get in for care, sometimes spending the entire day giving up, coming back again the next day. And it, it's incredibly frustrating for both providers in the system and I know for patients who are trying to get that care. Yeah. And, you know, it really still is the number one issue for people. I get emails every day about the China interference with our federal elections. But the numbers of emails that I receive that deal with health care outnumber everything else. So, so now we find ourselves in this crisis situation, and you wrote in the um, healthydebate.ca op-ed, Canada's 13 health systems are collapsing, albeit at an uneven rate. What's the story here? How is it falling apart in all 13 jurisdictions? And isn't it a little uh, unusual that we have 13 health jurisdictions in one country? You know, I think this is part of the education that Canadians are going through right now, recognizing that the healthcare system, when they go see it, isn't as seamless as we all thought. You know, we, we have 13 different jurisdictions in our provinces and territories. They all have their different approaches on how they, they deal with healthcare. And, you know, if you don't feel that 
at the interface of when you go see your provider, you tend not to think about it. But now that you are feeling it, it, it is definitely front of mind. So how did we get here? Well, we had really great innovation 10 or 20 years ago where we started to focus on primary care and move towards team-based care. And so we, we started to have these really great approaches where, you know, we would not depend on a solo practitioner to try and carry the full weight of care in the area that they were in, you know, trying to provide access. They start working in teams. Government started leaning into these really novel approaches at some places you'll see this labeled as like the medical home in Alberta. We called them primary care networks in Ontario. They were family healthcare teams. And within these structures, you could get quick access. You could see different folks for different problems, depending on what you need. You didn't always have to see a family physician, which I think is an integral part of really good uh, team-based care. But then what happened is over time, we lost our focus from what we were actually trying to accomplish to now trying to count the pennies. You know, how could we make sure that every dollar that went through the door was spent directly on the things that mattered? And, And that administrative load started to weigh down on primary care systems. And we all know over the last 10 years, there's been a lot of austerity. And those cuts have mainly been focused on the people in the system that actually provided care. And you could imagine if, if you went to you know, a store and the way that they saved money was by cutting back on people who were there at, at you know the checkout, there to help you while you were shopping, it would lead to a worse experience. And I think that's really where we're finding ourselves now. Yeah. Um, I received an email a few days ago. Uh, from a multi-generational family, and I mentioned multi-generational families at the beginning of our conversation, and they have had situations where children in their family, adults in their family, have needed a family doctor. They had a family doctor until the family doctor retired. Now they find themselves in a catch-22 situation, which you've just described. They don't really know where to turn, and it's very frustrating that they cannot receive the attention that they require. Meanwhile, they're feeling sicker and sicker. So when we're looking at up to 5 million Canadians without a family physician, that's a larger population than many of our provinces. We're looking up to 5 million Canadians without a family doctor. What do you recommend? What's the recommendation to these Canadians who are in this predicament? You know, that, that number is probably even higher based on newer data that we have. It's probably closer to 6 million based on recent polls from the Angus Reid Institute and you know a project called ourcare.ca out of Ontario. But I, I think what's really important, and one of the reasons why I ground a lot of the things that I say to patients now is that we have to recognize that we are in the midst of a catastrophe. There, there are no quick fixes. So we can help people navigate through the system and then look to systems that are trying to, to rebuild themselves. You know, and, and there is one system that I, I did come across. There's a couple of systems that I've come across where you know, there, there is some hope that we can stabilize and, and rebuild. So you know, there's different ways for you to access your family doc. You can go to try and book into a clinic, you know, community-based clinic. You can try and get into a walk-in clinic. Uh, virtual care is an option for folks going into emergency. Lots of people are phoning 811 now, which is that uh, that phone line that's present across all provinces and territories where you connect with the nurse and they talk you through whether or not you need to go into the hospital. The, the issue that we get into, though, is that all of these are now being overwhelmed. And so the system now has to respond to creating different ways for us to provide care. And one of the ways that some systems have looked at it, and this is one of the places that I I think things are working a little bit more effectively, is in a county just outside of Ottawa called Renfrew. And the the Renfrew model 
looks at virtual triage. So you actually go online, you connect with folks online, they kind of help you to navigate where to go in the system where there is capacity to be seen. They integrate paramedics into the way that they approach care, and they try and have folks who deal with more acute emergency life-saving situations focused on areas where they can have the most impact instead of, you know, having your family dog deal with paperwork or something that could likely be um, supported and, and assisted with another member of the team. And so you have models like that that are working really well. I, I think there are pockets across the country where you have smaller community-based uh, organizations that are funded in many ways beyond just the public model. You know, they, they lean on community funding or they apply for grants or other things that are working and functioning. Well, I visited a community in the Yukon who, who had a, an amazing facility where they had a multidisciplinary team. And when people would walk in, you know, folks would come out of the office and welcome them and, you know, kind of have that wraparound type of care. So there, there are little pockets where mm-hmm. people are figuring out how to stabilize, but how do we solve this at scale? And I think that's the real challenge for folks like myself and for those who sit around the tables of government to really push health systems into a different direction. So, Dr. Lafontaine, the word catastrophe comes into play, and you use it when you look at our talk about our healthcare system. I want to follow up on this and what you just uh, shared with us. There's this community in Ontario where they have a um, a program that seems to work and an integrated program. This is really what we had in Canada for for so many years before we became so specialized. People use and, and I saw in your in your op-ed the word silo, where you're separated from the other disciplines in healthcare that are required to work cooperatively together sometimes doesn't happen. Even doctors don't communicate with one another within these silos. Um, Is this possible? Can we, and I I shouldn't even ask this question, but our healthcare system is in such trouble. I wonder where the solutions are. Is it possible to create an integrated system where people can actually access the healthcare they require and where doctors can be mobile, where you're not licensed just in one province, where in fact you're permitted and licensed to perform your skills right across the country? You know, I, I absolutely think that that is possible. We, we are making some significant strides in that direction. You know, I, I think in the midst of hearing all this bad news, which reflects, you know, what people are actually going through day to day and is a fairly authentic take on, on where the system is at, uh, we, we don't always hear about what actually is going to change. So in the federal budget, there's a lot of signs that we're going to start moving towards freer mobility of healthcare professionals across the country, Atlantic Canada actually has its four provinces buying into this idea of a regional license. So folks can support each other across the province and maybe stretch the numbers further than they could otherwise. You know, these discussions are happening across the country. You know, there's greater investments in team-based care. You know, there's been announcements of hundreds of millions of dollars in different provinces across the country. We are opening new medical schools in uh, places across the country. You know, Toronto Metropolitan University is getting a medical school here in Alberta, we're getting satellite campuses here in Grand Prairie, where I live, down in Lethbridge. So they, there are movements in a positive direction. So things can change. You know, it's interesting in medicine because we often say to ourselves, things will always remain the same. But at the end of the day, people change because they're incentivized to change. And it's not always money that changes our behavior. I look back to anesthesia, and I'm an anesthesiologist by trade, so we use a lot of different types of fluids. People have probably heard about things like normal saline and other things. We were trying to get people to shift towards more healthy types of fluids, and we had a really difficult time for more than a decade 
until someone decided to change the position of those bags on the shelf. They moved the ones that we weren't supposed to use to the bottom and the ones that we were supposed to use to the top. And suddenly everyone started using the other types of fluid. And so, you know, that, that underlies in a very simple way that if we make small behavioral changes, we incentivize people, we make it easier for them to provide the right kind of care. And we help patients to navigate and, you know, be good stewards for themselves and the things that they need. I, I think we really could transform the system, but we, we have to get back to thinking about people as people, not like these, you know, uh, autonomous, uh, non-thinking, you know, people like that we've treated them in, in these healthcare cuts that have happened over the last 20 years. Yeah. Don't want to walk into a, into a hospital and take a number, because if you take a number, that tells you exactly what you are. Or at least it, it, the perception is that that tells you what you are to the system. Are, are, the, are the doctors in Canada on board with the, with, the, with the solutions or the approaches that you're suggesting that we have this integrated system that actually can depend on itself and work cooperatively together? I, I've talked to hundreds of physicians over the past couple of years. I expect to break a thousand by the time that I've done my term. And I've had deep conversations with these different folks that represent Canada from coast to coast to coast. And I, I will tell listeners that there has been a huge shift in the way that physicians view themselves within the system. And it's really driven by the pain and suffering that we actually see patients going through. You know, the, the days where a physician would die on a hill wanting to be the captain of the team, I believe those years are past. You know, physicians and I think by extension, other providers in the system, what do we want more than anything? We want folks who come into our care to actually get what they need. And so we're, we're very, very open. I, I think the resistance that you see, though, is folks are worried that what comes next will be worse. And that's grounded in their experiences. You yeah, know, we have been true. told over 20 years, you know, these changes are going to come and they actually made things uh, worse than they were before. And so, you know, as long as we focus on patients and what they need, making sure they get access, I do not think you'll have a huge problem getting people to, to rally around those changes. If you want to hear more, Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.